Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about Larry Elder and the California governor's race, Star Park, founder and president of CURE, the Center for Urban Renewal and Education joins me, and the Afghan fall is China's win. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. As you know, if you watch the show every day, I've been in California for the month of August, and every day I've been thinking about, I'm going to do some little story about Californian politics out here. I will tell you that in California, there are many segments of California that are actually really conservative. I mean, you talk to people, you think you might be in Kansas. I also know in a meeting in Florida two months ago or so, my husband and I met with the people who got behind and organized this recall effort to try to remove the current Democrat governor, Gavin Newsom. And talking to them, as well as other conservative Californians who happened to be at this meeting in Florida, they were saying, you know, California has many more conservatives than you might imagine. That California isn't really, as many people around the country picture it, is not just entirely a land of fruits and nuts. It actually has many hardworking business people. It has extraordinary uh, people who are committed to America and freedom who don't like the direction of our country. And they actually, some of them are even wondering what the real outcome was, you know, of the, of the various elections. Wondering if maybe California really was more more conservative than people thought. So right now in California, currently scheduled is the recall election of California Governor Newsom, Democrat Governor Newsom. The election is scheduled for September 14th. And I want to tell you again very briefly how it works so that I can explain to you what is the consequence is of this current um, litigation, a lawsuit filed today. The gist of it is in California, the way the recall thing works on September 14th, Registered voters get to have, have two choices. They can't. Now, question number one is recall Governor Newsom, yes or no. So if that turns out to be yes, if the majority of people say yes, then he is recalled. That is the entire process. And then question number two says, you know, if he is recalled, which person do you want to become governor? And I've I've lost track of the number of people who are running. I mean, at one point it was 18 or 19, might be in the 20s. All I know is that the person who has emerged at the top of the pack of the people challenging Governor Newsom in this recall election is conservative talk show host Larry Elder, extremely popular conservative talk show host Larry Elder, who happens to be black, which is making it a challenge for Governor Newsom because he was starting out his ads he has been running ads complaining about this recall effort and calling it a white supremacist effort. I think it's a little tough when when the person who is leading the pack, and at least according to polling, is Larry Elder. But what's happened now is that a lawsuit was filed today, and it was filed by a um, a pretty famous uh, constitutional attorney, or at least on the advice of a pretty famous constitutional attorney, Berkeley Law, uh, Law School Dean Erwin uh, Shemarensky, who last week wrote in our column in the New York Times an op-ed arguing that the entire recall process is unconstitutional. The gist of his argument is this. Question number one, as I said, is recall Newsom or not. So let's just say 
recall Newsom wins. Suppose that 51% of voters say, or let's just do it out of 100. 51 out of 100 people say, yes, recall Newsom. So that's it. He's recalled. Question number two then says, who you want to be governor instead? Well, because there's so many people running for governor, you could have the winners and whoever gets the most votes in that question number two becomes governor. And so at this point, because Larry Elder is polling ahead, but there's so many other people in the race. So the argument goes with litigation. You know, you may have far fewer people voting for the new governor, or you may have had more people who wanted Newsom to stay, even though they didn't get to the 50%, they had 49 out of 100, wanted Newsom to stay, but the new governor is only going to be chosen by whatever percent of voters choose that new, the, the top vote getter. His argument is it's a 14th Amendment violation that the, um, the one person, one vote rule is being violated because you, know, you may have literally the person the people in California who preferred Newsom may be more in number than the people who wanted the winner of this recall. And so he's saying that is unconstitutional. So there's been litigation filed in federal court. I think um, and that's my what I want to explain that because I think it'd be very interesting to watch and watch whether they how fast they can have this issue proceed through the courts. My real political point is I think that the California Democrats are getting nervous. I think this law, this is not a novel idea. This concept of challenging the very constitutionality of the recall process is not a new idea. And I think if they were very confident, if polling were looking good for Governor Newsom, they might have just left it in place because now they've got this whole tangle of an issue ongoing behind the scenes. Maybe one remedy, someone might argue, is, you know, actually, since it is so, um, you know, a, a constitutional question, maybe we better put off this recall. I don't know what will happen. I wanted to mention that. And then also just to mention, I do actually think, not just because of my non-scientific anecdotal evidence of where I'm visiting in California, I do think there are many Americans, even if you tend to be liberal on some issues, who simply see that California is falling apart. The combination of failure to have responsible policy dealing with the homeless, homeless, the homeless problem, especially in San Francisco, but even in Los Angeles and other cities, it, it, you're losing the ability to live a normal life in some of the larger cities because of a failure to address the homelessness problem. That is one huge issue. I also think the insecurity at the southern border and the willingness of California to just simply allow illegal immigrants to enter and the federal government allowing that. I think as some people at some point start to say, you know, I want to be compassionate. I feel really sorry for people who are poor, but we have to have a country. I think homelessness, I think gas prices to a certain degree are going to make people question, you know, can we even afford to live here anymore? But I actually do think the border insecurity is becoming a more prominent issue as we in America are seeing the results of the decision. And it is a conscious decision by the Biden administration to simply avoid dealing with the border issue, a conscious decision to pretty much abandon America's southern border. And I just don't think this flies very well with many, many people who start to feel we're actually losing our country. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five.
So I, we have joining us someone who's uh, happily joined us uh, numerous times on the show, Star Parker. She is based in Washington, D.C. Her organization is based there. It's called CURE, C-U-R-E. It's a great acronym for Center for Urban Renewal Education. Uh, it is the premier organization in America advocating for policies across the board, uh, trying to lift up America's lower income communities. And um, so it's just a fabulous organization. I want to give you a little more quick background before Star joins us. Um, she formed CURE in 1995. So she's been around in Washington as an advocate, as a spokesperson. She's also, though, formed a nationwide organization that sponsors something I hope she'll tell you about, which is her annual pastors conference. She gets messages about America, about the constitutionality and Christianity and conservatism out to communities around the country through her pastors network. She also was appointed by President Donald Trump in 2020 uh, to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, the California Advisory Committee. She was also key in Washington, D.C. and helping to write back in the late 90s, helping to write welfare reform. This is a serious, substantive policy thinker, Star Parker. She's also the author of numerous books that only mention one. Uh, we uh, we actually had her on this show right after the book came out called Necessary Noise, um, How Donald Trump Inflames the Culture War and Why This is Good News for America. Her other, uh, I think, tremendously famous book was just called Uncle Sam's Plantation, How Big Government Enslaves the Poor and What We Can Do About It. Just great writer, great thinker. Welcome to the show, Star Parker. Well, thank you, Deb. Hey, and I'm a resident of California, so I am coming out there to vote for that recall and to vote for Larry Elder. <laughs> oh, well, this is good. Honest to goodness, when I saw that news, you probably were excited too. When I saw the news, he was actually going to be a candidate on the ballot. I, I, I was thrilled. I mean, he's just been a an articulate and, and dedicated spokesman for conservatism for years. You might even know him. Do you know him? Oh, I've known him for years. In fact, when I was in talk radio for ABC, he, at, between himself and uh, Dennis Prager, they trained me there in Los Angeles. But what's really interesting, that's been 30 years at least, but what's really been interesting about watching Larry decide yes after so many were chasing him to do this is he has been talking about these issues for years. And now he's going to be able to apply those ideas that he's been sharing for years, in particular on the subjects that you mentioned. So there is a lot of excitement. Uh, you're absolutely correct that the this lawsuit might not have any merit because majority doesn't always win. That's not even how our system is designed. Uh, so if we decide we don't want Gavin Newsom anymore, record number, and Larry comes in even with 5,000 votes, oh well, it's the top vote getter. The Democrats knew that this was going to happen in California when they started dismantling all of the organized efforts that we had, whether Democrat or Republican, that we don't even have to list anymore. We are just majority gets it. Whoever gets the most votes is in the top two and whoever gets the top two wins. So I'm very much looking forward to Larry uh, leading California back to the strength that it does represent. You're right. We are not just fruits and nuts. We're actually cotton too, you know. Uh, we do more <laughs> cotton and wine than anyone in the in the country. And um, But we're very conservative in many, many areas. Uh, liberalism has taken a stronghold in our political process. But over 2020 election, I think a lot of people started re-looking at California because we had some significant wins. We won on the Uber issue. We pushed back against affirmative action policy, trying to rear its ugly head again in our universities. And we got back two major 
major uh, congressional seat. So yeah, there's hope that California can be run again by someone that's in the entertainment field, like we gave a Ronald Reagan to the country before, that has some great ideas for what makes our country strong and will make our state strong again too. Yeah, I love it. There was actually, I was trying to look, see the year quickly. I don't remember when it was, but California voters recalled Gray Davis yeah, when Arnold did. Schwarzenegger was put in. So this is not the first time. I mean, yeah. I don't know a lot of states or maybe I don't know all my history, but I don't know a lot of states who've done this, but this is not new in California. I don't know when Schwarzenegger came in, but that was... He came in as a result of Gray Davis being recalled, I'm pretty sure, right? Right. Well, and he was a disaster, uh, but you know, in, in many aspects. But there is one thread that does run through co California conservatives is we want a very limited uh, government when it comes to our money. And I think what's going to motivate a whole lot of people to get to the polls uh, to push Larry in is because when the federal government, uh, Donald Trump, implemented that last tax policy, remember the tax bill that was passed in 2017, and we had some discussions about what we call SALT, where Californians and many of the northeastern states are able to write off their state taxes from their federal obligation. So we never really thought about how out of control our state taxes were. This is the first year that many of us are feeling that ouch pitch because we can no longer write it off of our federal obligation. So you have a whole lot of people of more Californians now that are saying, wait a minute, maybe we should be more concerned about what our tax dollars in California are doing since now we actually have to pay them. <laughs> I love it. I remember the whole SALT discussion. I remember in part there was discussion about how uh, that, that SALT thing was put in place to punish states that had high income tax. And I was thinking, yeah, that's right. It will help right. not punish them, but draw to the attention of the people who are paying them. Help them see. Be more responsible. Yeah. yeah, focus. No, we were not responsible. And, and you're absolutely right. Even conservatives, it, we didn't, it didn't matter as much because we knew that we had that loophole uh, and we were exposed. Donald Trump exposed us. Some of our congressional leaders uh, were in the hot seat and didn't know what to do uh, because while consistent with our policies, as conservatives and as Republicans, we're supposed to want, you know, tax relief. But when it comes to special loopholes in many states, that's when you see your congressional leader say, well, except this, this one, we like this one. Uh, so we had a lot of debate during that time, but we did lose. Things are now adjusting and they should, because you're absolutely right. I was actually at one point looking at what states put into the federal coffers and then how much they take out. Because I'm one that argues, why are we sending it to the federal government in the first place just to get it back? And now this inner relationship between state and feds is dismantling because so many of the red states are saying we want responsibility by our money. But you're right, the blue states never cared because we weren't paying it anyway. And so when I looked at states like Florida, the numbers were so close that they would send their money up to Washington and Washington would send it right back. But in California, we were a big welfare state. So I think that that's what's adjusting and why you're going to see a lot of energy uh, over the next month come out to the polls to recall Gavin Newsom and then to put a constitutional conservative in his place. Love it, love it. And last thing, Larry Elder, and I want to get to actually uh, you let you again, although you have many times in the past, introduce for, to our listeners what Cure is and does. And we'll talk about some of your recent columns. But back to Larry Elder, among the many things that are so great about him, as we've both been saying, but he's been a talk show host for years. And therefore, he has learned, as you do when you're on air and forced to think about things, you learn how to be persuasive, how to lay out an argument, how to apply the arguments to the facts on the ground, 
you are um, you're, you're just more uh, persuasive because you're more deeply aware. And, you know, he didn't just join this uh, radio rodeo yesterday. He's really been in it for the long term. He's been, as many young black conservatives will say, you know, he was one of my idols. He's one of the ones I learned from and realized, oh, that's what the truth is. So he could just be a fabulous, fabulous governor. Right, but let's not limit his resume. Larry Elder is also an attorney. He's a lawyer. So what he's learned to do over time in his radio career is make it so that the people can understand. He learned how to uh, bring it in a soundbite. Uh, so yes, he's not only an attorney, he's a businessman. He has a long track record of, of thought and consistency when it comes to a limited role of government and what we should be thinking about when it comes to correcting our schools, what we should be thinking about when it comes to homelessness, which is not a housing problem, and what we should be thinking about so that we can unify our state uh, with uh, illegally uh, and so many other areas that he's focused on. But I just didn't want his resume to be only in radio because it's not. He's been on the scene for quite some time and it's going to be interesting to see the type of team that he develops around him as a business mind uh, when he gets in that governor's seat. I love it. And thank you for adding all that. You're right. He has a, very, he has a great in-depth resume. Just got to love it. Okay. So, Star, I want to talk about, first of all, Cure. I know you've been on the show many times and talked about it, but just in a nutshell, for any new listeners, tell us all about Cure. Well, we're a policy institute, as you know. Our, our uh, mission, if you will, is to fight poverty and restore dignity through messages of faith and freedom and personal responsibility. So in a nutshell, we want to dismantle the welfare state. We really believe that charity belongs in communities and to churches and to individuals to make decisions in their personal lives. So we want the government out of the charity business, everything from the abortion business to housing and health policy uh, and, to, and, and education policy. And then we want to personalize Social Security. We really believe money should go to an IRA instead of to the IRS when it comes to how we develop out our savings over our lifetime so that we can have healthy retirement. So we're based here in Washington, D.C. We do have three programs, as you mentioned, the policy program, our clergy program, where we educate pastors all over the country. We equip them. We empower them. Uh, we we allow them to take the information that we give them through our annual. Uh, we have a it's a training program, but then it culminates in a policy summit that you mentioned uh, here in Washington, D.C., where they have two days of regular diet in ideas, market-based strategies to fight poverty, and then they go back to their local community and then we try to help them uh, once they're there, sort through how to make those realities in their local neighborhoods. And then of course, a media machine uh, that has my, uh, it hosts my show, Cure America with Star Parker, but it also hosts our daily diet for our clergy, which is called blackcommunitynews.com. You are something. You you are a whirlwind. I love it, love it. Okay. You also write really well. You have a weekly column, <laughs> and I get them. Actually, I do get them uh, in my inbox. But uh, you talked about something recently that I just think was. I mean, these these topics are floating around in the political world, and people talking about them so much. But cancel culture and wokeness. And you basically say cancel culture and wokeness will destroy our country. Was the most recent column that I found. Uh, I guess we have another one coming out soon. But it, it talks about you begin by talking about the enabling tool of language, and I love the concept of, of recognizing how. Americans, conservatives, people are played by the use or manipulation of language. And that you use the term, the whole business of racial identification and categorization is not about advancing the quality of the human condition and human dignity, but about progressive politics. First of all, amen to that. You could not be more right. Can you just elaborate on that thought? Well, 
we are in a cultural war and we all know it. And so when you get down to, well, what is it? What is the problem and how do we fix it? And why are we having now this cancel culture? It's because there are two conflicting worldviews on the table. One that's rooted in the sacred says there is a God and that God created. And then that with that reality, he had men name everything. Well, liberals, secular, don't believe that. They believe that they are God, frankly. They believe they know as much as God. The difference between a liberal and a conservative these days, when you think about the sacred versus the, the, the secular, is the sacred says, you know what? We don't know everything. So we want open discussion. That's what freedom of speech is about. We have to pursue and discover truth. And we don't know it all. We have to constantly have communication and learn and think with each other and allow for people to express themselves in the language and the words that sometimes can be a little offensive that they need to do so that we can grow. Liberals don't want that because they decide that they're going to create reality. And in a creative reality, they use language. And so that's why they'll even take a, a, a word homosexuality and tell us that this is a noun. When it's not, it's a verb, a verb that God said don't do. Uh, We see it in the languaging of even race and racial uh, dynamics. And as I pointed out in that column, now in 19 different categories, you can check a box. So these are the problems that we're having in our culture today. I think Americans have been exposed to it uh, as their children have been out of school for the last year and they found out about critical race theory. And so now we're getting to the place where we know what to do, which is sever that relationship where the federal government controls all educating of students and let money follow children to schools parents want. That will settle this because then parents, if they want a religious background in the sacred, that's what they choose for their children. And if the secular want to learn all this critical race theory and, and try to figure out how to get a job with a degree in it, that's their business. But what then the question on the table will be, how do we live in a civil society to where when our lives touch, we're cordial to one another. But I think the day is over that we force all children into the same classroom. You know, I love that thought. And actually, as a bit of an aside, but you must have been enjoying, I mean, I've been enjoying watching the activism that has be, uh, is beginning or is really occurring uh, with parents showing up at school board meetings, county commission court meetings, and pushing back against school boards about things such as critical race theory, which has kind of consumed them. And, and a good thing that this has come to the attention of more and more Americans. I think people didn't realize what was being taught in the schools. And it was this last year of a lot of kids at home home uh, with parents more intimately involved with the kids are learning and the discussion occurring around the country, parents realizing, wait a minute, you're teaching our kids what? what? And then, <laughs> yeah, what? And then they show up at the school boards and they're meeting often really kind of deaf ears. The, the school board uh, responses, yeah, I mean, it's very dismissive of the parents, right. but that battle isn't over. I love no, the battle's these- not over. That's why what the parents are realizing is that a government-funded, union-controlled environment is not going to be heard. The school board is not going to hear you. So we can either keep putting out those fires by running for a school board and play that game, or we can take the matches and start competing with that government funded union controlled system. So yes, it is open a window of opportunity. And it's important because communism and that concept of Marxism didn't start yesterday. And what's happening with conservatives and just decent people in quiet communities that are now confronted with critical race theory or finding out is how entrenched it is in what their children are learning. No wonder their children are coming back questioning all values and all belief in God. And they're doing something about it. And we're seeing it around the world. We're seeing it even in what's happened with Afghanistan 
Afghanistan. If we ourselves have been sending out these messages through these liberal spokespersons that America is racist and doesn't work for even the least of these, that it will not work for people, that the ideas are out of sync, then how are others going to believe that? We are supposed to be the light for them. And that is now unraveling it right in front of us in Afghanistan because we can't have it both ways. We can't say that we are a free country, be like us, when we ourselves are diminishing our own existence. Love that thought. I was sorry for our listeners. I'm going to turn to a lot of news about Afghanistan in the next segment, uh, including some amazingly insightful remarks uh, this morning from by Gordon Chang about how our sudden withdrawal from Afghanistan has emboldened China. I, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. You won't believe the kind of things that are being said, but they're all good That's things right. to understand. So back to, you know, you also had a great column. And I just, I love that you write these and you write in a very, it's, it's actually a, a great format because you have you know, one or two sentence paragraphs and then bro- broken up so it's easy to follow. I love how you write them. Uh, you have one that talked about the perverse agenda of Black Lives Matter. And you were actually talking about how Black Lives Matter, the, how they treated and looked at the issue in Cuba and the, the people in the streets protesting communism. And it was, it was really brilliant to point out that what they went to right away was skin color uh, Black Lives Matter did in, in commentating instead of recognizing the repression of Cuba that represses everyone. I'd love to have you just talk about how wh- what your reaction was to Black Lives Matter commentary on Cuba. Well, thank you. And, but first, let me give credit also to my researcher and collaborator because I, he does more on the organizing my thoughts than I do. So you gave me a lot of credit there, but <laughs> that I probably don't deserve as much. Uh, but it, it's a work. And, and I have a great team here at Cure. There are 13 of us that continue to push out the work and try to uh, obtain excellence in that. But to what we're watching uh, with Black Lives Matters, make no mistake, this, ha- this has nothing to do with George Floyd. It was an opportunity for communists who have a worldview rooted in Marxism to further that agenda. It is a connected agenda to Cuba. We saw it all throughout from the 30s. We started seeing it even in black community. Uh, it had to sit back for a little while during Martin Luther King Jr.'s movement because his movement was inconsistent with communism. He actually thought America was good. He actually thought America had ideals that we should all reach forward to. He wanted everybody to participate, including the blacks that were being left out. So it was inconsistent, but we saw it after uh, his death reemerge. And that's one of the reasons now, now we have critical race theory that came up out of those 70s. When you start looking at what was developed in idea and in law coming out of the 60s into the 70s is what we're tasting today, including that Cuban policy, including pointing to Cuba again. Well, what's interesting that you would even ask this question is that when we're hearing now these discussions we're having on Afghanistan, they're referring to the time of Cuba and also what Castro said about America. And make no mistake, the messaging that you're getting ready to get into about China and Russia and Iran is consistent with Black Lives Matters in that they look at it's us against them, the POCs. There's constant reminder to the people that are in all of these other countries that they are also POCs, people of color. And if it doesn't work for blacks here, it's not gonna work for them either. And they're quoting Castro during this messaging to say when he was at that challenge right then that America was trying to push back communism to come into that country, he was pointed to the treatment of blacks in New York City. So this is not old messaging. This is uh, I mean, this is not new messaging. This is old messaging. And we've got to get ahead of it and understand 
what they have in mind for us as a country coming out of this debacle in Afghanistan because it's 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 related to each other. That's what George Bush knew. It's related to each other. That's why we went into Afghanistan. He didn't say we're just going in to fight a war and to find terrorism. He said we need to make sure that these guys that have a very entrenched worldview inconsistent to ours never get a nuclear weapon. And that's really important. It's important today because Cuba is a part of that POC messaging and community. All great points, sir. All great points. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I want to be sure and get you one last thing about running your columns because it's one of the issues you care so passionately about. And that is you wrote a column recently talking about the Supreme Court taking a case in which it's possible that Roe versus Wade will be overturned. First of oh, all, yeah. I yeah, I know you're really active this issue. Do you have any gut sense? I mean, given it seems to me our Supreme Court has been very timid recently and kind of unreliable. I mean, do you have any sense that they would really go so far as reversing Roe versus Wade? Or what's your sense of how that's going to go? That's my hope and my prayer. You know, if you want to talk about science, the science is on our side. You want to talk about life, life is on our side. You want to talk about the messaging behind abortion, not just the moral and the medical implications. But you go beyond that, this whole messaging of victimology that you can't control even your sexual impulses. Uh, it's unchallenged. It's going to be challenged at the court. So depending on how the good guys message to for the court, yes, I really am hopeful that the that Roe v. Wade can be overturned. It's one thing to argue in the 70s that we don't know what that is so you can kill it. But it's another that with ultrasound to say we don't know what that is so you can kill it. I think that as we connect even to what we went through with COVID, to say, what is life? What is that awe of that great mystery uh, that we all want to preserve to where we'll even put on a, a mask and put some foreign product into our, into our bodies that we're not sure is well tested. And it's all about that same mystery of life. It's about eternity. So I'm hopeful that the court, uh, in whatever information they get, will take a deep breath and say, we've, we're exhausted on this same question. At a certain point, we have to even look at the lessons we should have learned from slavery, life, liberty, property. These some things are just not yours to call. Humanity, that 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 vision of humanity in itself uh, it has a uniqueness. And I'm hoping and praying uh, that they will overturn the same way uh, we were saw the issue of slavery no longer existing in our country because it's the same big moral question. You know, the, uh, the other uh, previous Supreme Court litigation that occurred to me in thinking about this was how there was a Supreme Court case that said, you know, that segregated schooling it was okay. That was consistent with the Constitution. And I think a lot of people at that time thought the Supreme Court will never dare to reverse that. This is entrenched American history. This is, you know, this is kind of, this is how it's always been. They wouldn't dare. And I think there's a sense in Roe versus Wade of that same thing that just uh, abortion, the right to abortion is just entrenched in society. It won't change. But as we know, you know, we had Plessy versus Ferguson. I well, hope you can even go cases. back further. Go back to Dred Scott, because yeah. Dred, if you took the labeling off of Dred Scott and Roe v. Wade and just read the decisions, they are exactly the same. You wouldn't know one from the other. It's about life, liberty, property, both decisions. So you're absolutely right, Deb. We've ha we have precedent. We saw change occur. I mean, we hope we don't end up in a civil war on this one, but we can do this if we allow ourselves to take a deep breath and say, what? why are we having all these other problems in our life? Maybe it's time to check ourselves. You know, going back to Afghanistan, I know you're going to do a whole segment on that, okay. but when we talk about the chaos outside, 
Every now and then you got to look inside. And if you remember after September 11th, there were two major Christian voices that spoke into that moment. One was Pat Robinson and one was Jerry Falwell Sr. And they both said, we have to check ourselves. We have a problem, guys. We have abortion. We have LGBTQ. We have problems that then you can't beg a God to help you if you won't fix yourselves. And even though as a nation we had other business to do and Bush went into the whole pluralism thing to try to make a messaging that would fit the world so that we could accomplish those military goals. I think here we're going to keep going around that mountain until we get it right. And we're not going to get it right. We can't be a country of life, liberty, and property if we're killing in the womb because we think it's property, that we take the life and the liberty uh, because we think it's property. So yes, we're at that moment. And I don't think it's an accident that the court's taken it up and we'll have a decision during this turmoil and this time that we as a nation have to ask ourselves, who do we want to be? Do we want to be biblical and true? Or do we want to be secular in status? And those are the questions on the table. We've had a an opportunity to see what they both look like uh, over these last election processes. And uh, this one has gotten very, very dark. So I think that America might want some light and they might be ready to repent about this horrible sin, crime against humanity of abortion. Star Parker, as always, you are just, it's great to talk with you. I want to be sure our listeners know your organization really is funded by people who care about the issues you care about, who understand them. So I believe you can go to, is it curepolicy.org people should go to if they would like to donate to you? Yes, curepolicy.org. Thank you for that. Yes, yes, yes. And especially yes, yes, yes now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, you know what? Actually, we have like one minute. No, we don't have one minute. I want to hear about how Washington is. I'll save it for the next time. I know you're in Washington right now. That's why. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) All right. Star, great talking with you. Thanks. Thanks for joining me so much. You're welcome. Thanks. I'll see you again soon, Deb. Be safe in California. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Great to see you. Okay, folks. She is, I want to ask at some point, I will ask someone in Washington. I talked to her right after, uh, I'm so glad she could join us. I'm so right after, in fact, the, the, very day the George Floyd um, uh, video became known around the country and all these big riots started, Black Lives Matter riots started and, and Antifa riots started, not just in Minneapolis, but all over the country. I've known Star for years. She called or texted like super early in the morning uh, and just basically said, I got to come on your show today. And she really wanted to try. Um, so this is back literally a couple of days after the George Floyd incident. She wanted to try to send a message about the idea that troubling as that video was and wrong as that conduct was, uh, that we needed to decide as a nation to stay united, to not fall into the chaos that Black Lives Matter was trying to create. She was much, she, I, I don't even remember all the points she wanted to make, but she, I had her on that day. Um, she's a, a deeply thoughtful American who uh, doesn't want us to dissolve, doesn't want our country to dissolve into a um, seemingly endless battle between the races. She's got the much higher idea about the Constitution and about what America stands for and is. And that's what she wants to to help Americans see and and want to pursue. So that was Star Parker. Love having her. Her group again, curepolicy.org. I'm sure she'd appreciate any support you can give. Okay, I want to talk about the situation in Afghanistan. You know, I um, 
I will tell you that tomorrow's guest on the show uh, is a true, really great, just great national security expert uh, whose name is James Carafano, and he's with Heritage Foundation, and he is a uh, historian, he's a military historian. We'll have great input from him, and I, I'm looking forward to that. I encourage you to tune in tomorrow. What I want to say about today, a couple things that really uh, struck me. I heard this morning some remarks that were given by Gordon Chang. And Gordon Chang, you may recall, he's been on the show many times. Uh, Gordon Chang is an expert of experts, an experts expert about China and not just current China, uh, Chinese Communist Party behavior, but the history of China, the history of the uh, Chinese dynasties, the way the Chinese Communist Party looks at the world, their effort to, they want to become the world's single superpower. China is dead set determined to replace America as the world's um, superpower and to be uh, and, and to be the one that really, and they have many, many initiatives to get along the way, which include, for example, the Belt and Road Initiative, which we talked about many times. They have military um, uh, military pushing that their, their military is being built up at a time that Biden is pretty much destroying our military. China is building up their military. And so as it relates to Afghanistan, one point that, that Gordon, I'm sure several points that Gordon Chang was making, and then tell you some things, new statements out of the Chinese Communist Party. Gordon Chang is making the point, even right after Biden became president, so earlier this year, and it was in March, I think, it was a meeting, the very first meeting of the Biden team with representatives of the Chinese Communist Party. They met in Alaska. We, many people talked about the, just the utter fiasco of that meeting, how our side, um, we just weren't prepared in many important ways. And so what happened early on in that summit in Alaska in March between communist China and America was basically China said they conveyed the message to the people the Americans representing, which included uh, Blinken, uh, who was there, of course, uh, included the point that just basically saying, we in China do not have to listen to you. America, do not think you're in charge. Do not think you have moral authority. Do not think you can tell us what to do. It was a very much a confrontational, you know what, we're on the we're on the roll. We're on the we're we're growing bigger, we're growing stronger, we're going to be pushing out our control around the world. And you, America, you better just understand we don't care what you think. So it was a very ugly and unimpressive start to the diplomatic relations between China um, and America. So I'm talking about China in the context of Afghanistan because China has been working over uh, recent years in creating a very positive relationship with the Taliban. China had meetings earlier this year, again, with the Taliban leaders. And so China and the Taliban are meeting to talk about, you know, cooperating, China has interests in the minerals that are that just the abundant wealth of minerals that are available in Afghanistan. China is wanting to have a positive relationship and has a positive relationship with the Taliban. Today, as Afghanistan has fallen, you know, America's pulling out. We have two, two of all the embassies, two embassies still open in Kabul. And Afghanistan, the Chinese embassy, excuse me, the Chinese embassy and the Russian embassy. And the reports are that the Taliban troops are protecting the China embassy 
and the Russian embassy. This is who the Taliban thinks their friends are. One question Gordon Chang got earlier today was, well, don't you think that, you know, because the Chinese government, the CCP, Chinese Communist Party, has been so brutally repressive of the Uyghur, of the Muslim minority population in uh, in in China, don't you think the Taliban might say, well, if you want to be friends with us, you want to be part of, you know, the future of Afghanistan, you better stop mistreating the Muslims, the Uyghur um, minority population in China. You know, don't you think Taliban will push China? And which Gordon Chang said, not a bit. They won't care. They won't care. So you have China. Now, two statements I want to read to you uh, that China has issued that relate to uh, their newfound bravado because America basically surrendered in Afghanistan, fled during, you know, fled overnight. One was there was a statement by uh, in, in the Chinese uh, state run Global Times. The most prominent headline in China's Global Times says Taliban's rapid victory embarrasses U.S. smashes image, comma, arrogance. So it's a in-our-face taunting of America. This headline in the Chinese paper mocking America for surrendering to the Taliban, for pulling out of Afghanistan. And um, it is a... Um, I mean, it, 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 in, their, in America's face, China's saying, see, like we told you, you know, you, you're nobody anymore, America. You're not in charge of anything. You're, you're an embarrassment. Secondly, China, just because of our decisions over the weekend to pull out, as you saw the disastrous consequences flowing, Global Times, again, issued a statement relating to America and speaking to the people of Taiwan. So this was a statement, again, in the... The Chinese Communist Party's Global Times, an editorial published Monday, so this was yesterday, they sent a harsh message to the Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP, Democratic Progressive Party, the ruling party of the Republic of China on the island of Taiwan. Here is the message. The DPP authorities need to keep a sober head and the secessionist forces should reserve the ability to wake up from their dreams. Trying to say, Taiwan, don't even think about something you ever gonna, you're not gonna secede. From, and this is the important part, part, from what happened in Afghanistan, they should perceive that once a war breaks out in the Straits, this is referring to, talking to Taiwan now, the island's defense will collapse in hours and the US military won't come to help. When we talk about the failure of the Biden administration, to conduct an orderly and safe withdrawal out of Afghanistan. We're not just talking about the death and destruction and horrific violence being inflicted on the people of Afghanistan. We're talking about the message America sent to our number one enemy, China, happily wishing to be, become the, one, the world's one superpower, we're sending a message to other bad actors, certainly to other jihadist organizations. I mean, all Taliban is, is the you know Afghanistan flavor of Islamic jihad. They're just evil Islamic jihadists. And the Islamic jihadists, most unfortunately, have many organizations around the world who all watched what America did in Afghanistan, which is a turn tail and ran, and said, wow, this is great. 
we don't have to worry. We can go on the offense because look at America. They aren't going to defend themselves. I want to say a couple things about Biden's statement about it yesterday. I'm not going to play any of it, but just to what Biden's statement was. Biden, first of all, tried to blame Trump. Biden said, well, you know, I, I inherited the problem that Trump created because he said we'd be out of Afghanistan by May 1st. So, you know, I'm trying to do it orderly as the best we could do. Okay, please, please do not give him one iota of credibility on that point. Number one, when Biden came into office on January 20th, within the first week, he reversed pretty much every consequential policy the Trump administration had in place. Biden was not bound by what Trump had planned to do in Afghanistan. Biden's not bound by that. He could say, hey, you know, new sheriff in town, I'm the president now, and we're going to figure this out ourselves. It's just a finger pointing, childish excuse making by Biden to say, well, I, I couldn't, you know, what could I do? Trump said we'd be out. So that's what I had to do. The foreign policy that Biden engaged in in rapidly pulling American forces out when they obviously the Afghan military wasn't ready to, to take charge, the Afghan alleged government wasn't ready to be in charge, was a international debacle, which will be for literally decades to the detriment of America. Unless we can, of course, see the Biden administration turn around and, and act like America is strong. But again, I want to allude to what I said yesterday on the show. Either every advisor Biden has should be fired because they didn't realize what would happen, which could not be true. Of course they knew what happened. They Of course they knew. Unless they just had their eyes closed the last 20 years, they had to know what the Taliban would do the moment America withdrew. They had to know it. So the decision to go forward has some other explanation. You could just say, we're tired of American troops being there. We want them all brought home. You know, it's not our problem. Afghanistan's not our problem. You know, we didn't, that, you know, this is all because of Islam and Taliban. So, you know, just, just not our deal to worry about. Maybe you can have that attitude. Well, let me just explain to you one story. I could spend the rest of the show telling you stories and showing you videos, which I will spare you. But I'll tell you just one story. There's a guy in America who served in Afghanistan and he worked with an Afghan native translator, someone whose job it is, because with American troops there trying to keep peace and trying to keep the Taliban down, they had to have Afghan natives who could be translators. So one guy who was an Afghan translator for the American military, of course, once Taliban takes charge and they have, you know, they're just in charge of everything, they are seeking out many people they consider enemies, including Afghan citizens who cooperated with American military, such as the translators. So the uh, Taliban finds this guy. Uh, I mean, they've only been in charge, whatever it is, 48 hours. They find this guy, who, and he had a DOD-issued um, tag to show, yes, you know, because when you're going to work with the American military, you're yeah, see, this, uh, I, I'm one of you. I've agreed to be a translator. The Taliban first burned the DOD tag into his chest, cut off his arms, and then had him publicly, publicly hung in the streets in front of his daughter, his young daughter, who was then whisked away to become part of the now dozens and likely hundreds of young girls, oh, gotta be hundreds of young girls, who've been kidnapped by the Taliban to become sex slaves. This is what happens 
when you just abandon a, a country to the Taliban. Now, I agree with those who said we can't be a nation state builder. America cannot go around and try to impose American values and American system of governance around the world. But once we were there and we had set up ourselves to be uh, to be trying to help to keep peace there, trying to prevent the Taliban from its horrific conduct, which it is what's going on in, in Afghanistan right now, people. Yeah, I mean, you can't even begin to imagine. I mean, door to door, pulling people out of their houses, uh, shooting journalists, shooting pilots, basically killing the, the men, uh, raping, intentional raping as a form of enforcing Make, sending the message, you're going to be in submission to us forever. Raping women, raping young girls, kidnapping young girls. It is the most primitive, barbaric organization. I mean, there may be other ones similar that are also informed by Islamic Jihad, informed by what the Quran teaches. But this is what's happening right in Afghanistan. And once we were there, whether you agreed or not, we should have gone. Once we were there, we had some obligation to to leave in an orderly way that and, and so i'll tell you among the things that are going badly for us right now we have left uh, a great deal a large number a great deal of military equipment that's now in the hands of the taliban we didn't have an orderly exit strategy if some one of the generals i think it was millie or somebody has oh yeah we've got an orderly exit strategy no they didn't they left a bunch of equipment of our equipment, our tax dollars paid for in the hands of the Taliban. And now you see people, I played it yesterday on my show, you see people you know, flooding the airport, trying to get on some transport to get out. And these people know that if they, and these are Afghan natives I'm speaking about, if they don't get out, they're going to suffer a horrific, tortured death at the hands of the Taliban. We enabled that to occur by being there. We had to know that would occur. When, once we were there, that this is how these people would be treated. So they're clamoring to get out. I want to mention a couple of things about what um, what Biden is and is not doing, uh, which is just uh, if you ever had any question about whether we have, I, I, I can't even go there. I'll just tell you a couple of things. I want to talk about Nancy Pelosi, by the way, on the subject of Afghanistan. But I want to hit on, um, in Afghanistan, there, of course, were American uh, people, a, a lot of American, different people um, who were there for reasons of being, uh, you know, contractors, reasons of being, they were sent many missionaries, Christian pastors and their whole families. The Pentagon, the actual U.S. American Pentagon, Press Secretary John Kirby announced yesterday, or today rather, that there are in Afghanistan somewhere between 5,000 and 10,000 American citizens who cannot get to the Kabul airport. The only way to get people out at this point is to fly in military planes and, and hope that Taliban doesn't shoot them down and rescue people and get them back out. So we have between five and 10,000 Americans there. So this was not an orderly plan withdrawal. This was not something that this was, I, I don't even know what, if we ever got to the truth of it, what caused Biden to say, hey, you know, now they think about it. I mean, we've been trying to draw troops down. I understand it wasn't just completely overnight, but the way we did it, endanger these American citizens, endanger the Afghan people who are, uh, you know, who've been helping the Americans. Um, and we now have in America, um, we have these, um, we have Afghan refugees being brought to America 
Afghan refugees being brought to America uh, because they're otherwise ones that the Taliban would kill. And they are coming here to be housed in two U.S. military bases, one being in Texas. So Afghan refugees are never going to go home again. I was going to try and see the number of them. And I, I read it one place. I actually read some different numbers. So I want to be sure I'm saying the right thing. But there were different numbers I read. But the gist of it was there are little, oh, up to 30,000 Afghans up to 30,000 Afghan refugees being brought to America. They're not going to live in the military bases the rest of their lives. They're going to be let, let loose into America. And so I want to just think about that for a second. I mean, maybe we would have always had to get them out, but now we have a large number of Afghan refugees all coming to America um, and all going to be housed at our military facilities. And I just want to share with you, I, I mean, I have so many points I want to make about this. And I know I still have, tomorrow we'll have James Carafano come on. But one point I wanted to make, because I've seen a commentary talking about, well, you know, we have all these young, essentially military fighting age Afghan natives being brought to America as refugees. At the same time, we Americans are flying troops over to help to help with the situation in Afghanistan. And like, why can't those people stay and defend their own country? And I will tell you in part, again, America did have weaponry there. America has now essentially armed the Taliban or further armed the Taliban, up-armed the Taliban. And so these people who've been helping us, these refugees, they may not have any weapons. They, they certainly aren't going to get them from the Taliban. So they are defenseless. They have a, a heavily armed Taliban that is mercilessly slaughtering people. They even suspect helped it helped America in any way. And so, yeah, we've got refugees coming here. That's a danger. And then we ha and and they are apparently unable to uh, stay there and defend their own country. And, and maybe that's even true. They don't have weaponry to do that. They don't have the weapons. They aren't the military. They're just individual citizens. We also had, and I linked this story on our website. And it, my website is americacanwetalk.org. I linked this story. I'll just plant the seed and tell you more about it uh, maybe tomorrow or another day. Yeah, when we talk, maybe when we talk to um, James Carafano. But there was a woman who worked with refugees all over the world. This article is linked on my website. You have to read this to understand this. The article is called, Let's Talk About What to Expect as the Afghans Head for America. There's a woman who's worked resettling Islamic refugees all over Europe. Her name is Cheryl Bernard. Cheryl Bernard. And she gave a lengthy interview talking about, wrote a lengthy article saying, here's essentially what happened. She has helped settle refugees from numerous Islamic majority countries in, in countries around Europe. And she talked about it was always the Afghan refugees who were the most problematic, most likely to commit violent crime against the citizens of the country that took them in. And so they were trying to figure out, you know, what is the reason they're being rescued by these countries for crying out loud? And yet what they do when they get there, more so than other Islamic refugees from other Islamic countries, is they commit violence toward the citizens of the countries that receive them. And they're trying to get at why. And she said one translator she talked with at length basically said, the Afghans have been taught and trained to simply hate Western civilization. They just hate Western Europe. They've been taught these are the enemies, these are evil. So even though the people who rescued them 
are are these same Western Western civilization countries, Western European countries, when they get there, they're among the most dangerous as possible, uh, dangerous as imaginable. And I, I will tell you that I it's a very, very complex situation. I don't mean to, by anything I'm saying, to suggest you're some simple, snap your finger, shoot it on this, snap your finger, shoot it on that. But we do expect the American government to be looking out for the American people, which means we should, by the way, being rescuing, be rescuing Americans first out of Afghanistan. Biden administration saying, no, that's not right. We will rescue some Americans and we'll rescue some other Afghans, you know, kind of mix them all in instead of get the Americans out first, which should be the priority of an American administration. Second, you have these people being resettled here. Unclear if you can ever get any kind of I don't even know what you'd call it. Growth, cultural understanding, something that says these people, if you want to stay here in America, you know, you don't have to assimilate and want to have a, you know, house in the suburbs with three kids and a dog and, you know, the American dream. But you cannot come here and commit violence. We have to be. And this is the, the whole danger of the administration we currently have in Washington, D.C. They aren't looking out for the American people. They just aren't. And so we have a danger to us, even by people escaping Afghanistan, coming here as refugees to get away from the Taliban, but very unclear if they'll, they will, when on arrival in America, be uh, people we can we can greet into our culture, accept into our culture without having them uh, become the, uh, problematic in terms of violence as they have been throughout Western Europe. One last point, and I'll wrap it up for this topic for today. I'll wrap it up the show today, but so... If you follow anything, anything about Islamic Jihad, anything about radical Islam, anything about Sharia, a kindergarten level comprehension of those topics must include the notion that in among the thinkers, or you know, call them thinkers, the believers, the true believers in Islamic Jihad and in Sharia is the notion that women are second class citizens. Women are to be treated pretty much as property. Men are permitted under Sharia to engage in violence toward their wives for reasons they don't have to explain. Women are repressed in Islamic cultures all over the world. That is just like it's kindergarten comprehension of what life is like in Islamic majority countries that follow Sharia, that women are treated terribly, terribly. So you have Nancy Pelosi, our, can't even stand to say it, Speaker of the House in Washington, D.C., the most powerful Democrat in Washington. And she issued a statement talking about how, you know, the Taliban, you know, moves toward governing Afghanistan, you know, she or she issued several kind of warning statements first. Um, she also, okay, she praised Biden for the handling of this situation, which is beyond idiotic. Um, but she actually issued a statement that um, the U.S., the international community and the Afghan government must do everything we can to protect women and girls from inhumane treatment. And she went on to say any political settlement, any political settlement, the Afghans pursue to avert bloodshed must include having women at the table. Okay, it's so unspeakably ignorant. I don't even think Nancy Pelosi actually thinks that somehow the Taliban 
that's now ruling Afghanistan will invite in the women and girls to have a conversation, you know, about equity and about how women should be treated. I mean, the absurdity of saying this, I, I don't know whether to attribute to she's that ignorant or she just has a base of voters who need to hear her make that plug so she'll say it. But it's the most unrealistic, absurd, and frankly, because it's so unrealistic, offensive that she would put this out there as though this will solve the problem. I'll issue a statement and tell the Taliban they really better include women at the table as they're working out their new government. I mean, this people, I, I mean, she's such an embarrassment in so many levels, including praising Biden's handling of all this, but I'll close out the show because I got to go to why it matters to you. But I really want you to think about the insensitivity, the absurdity, the ignorance, the flat out stupidness of Nancy Pelosi. And I know it's not a word, stupidity is the word of Nancy Pelosi saying that the big statement she'd like to make as the most one of the most powerful Democrats in Washington, except for uh, Mr. Biden and Kamala Harris, who who knows who's even running their administration, the most important thing she can think to say is, hey, you know what, actually, I really want women included at the Taliban negotiating table. I mean, unspeakable, insensitive, outrageous, ridiculous. I close the show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And so we start our show, just uh, seems like so long ago, start our show. Um, Larry Elder in the governor's race, why it matters. California Governor Gavin Newsom is panicked, blaming white supremacy, which he did do for the recall when Larry Elder is leading the alternative candidates. Falls flat. Dems now deploying the standard leftist gambit of lawfare. Use the courts when you fear the will of the people. Lawsuit filed to have the recall process declared unconstitutional. Allegedly violates one person, one vote. But the recall process is long established and has been used. Difficult to overturn, but leftist pressure on the judge will be enormous. Larger reality of California, not as pure blue as portrayed, maybe socially liberal, but broader concerns, rising crime, overrun border, rising homelessness, rising gas prices, unreliable power grid, heavy-handed COVID restrictions for thee but not me, because everyone knows Gavin Newsom didn't follow all the COVID rules he put in place for the peasants. Californians appear to have had enough of Gavin Newsom, and for good reasons, let us hope. And on the Afghan fall and the Chi is a win for China, the ramifications of Biden's Afghan catastrophe are snowballing and they are disastrous. China openly mocking U.S. forces, warning Taiwan that U.S. defense promises are worthless. Two embassies still open in Kabul, China and Russia. 5,000 to 10,000 Americans unable to reach the airport in Afghanistan, status unknown. Millions of U.S. military equipment left behind. Pelosi's statement offers complete idiocy. Taliban better make sure women are represented in government. I mean, you, I can't even go there. Afghan refugees already being flown to the U.S. Historically, the least assimilative, okay, it's my day to make up new words. Assimilative, meaning willing to assimilate of all groups, anecdotes of savagery and brutality by Taliban against those who aided the U.S. are proliferating. Joint Chiefs Chair Milley and Secretary of Defense Austin, nowhere to be seen. The nagging, deeply disturbing question, is this really a Biden mistake. Biden is unquestionably compromised by China. And that, my very fine friends, 
is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you-